Amen. Let's praise the Lord for what he can do. Amen. I love that he can take hopelessness and turn it into eternal life. Uh, That he can change everything in a moment when we come to Christ. And so, so thankful for what the Lord has done. Uh, This morning, uh, we are continuing in our series, The Power to Change. And we're actually going to be picking up from where we left off last week. And so we kind of really didn't get through the whole message last week. And so we kind of put a pin in that and came back to it this week. And so if you've missed uh, any of the series so far, if you've missed any of what we've talked about so far, you can go back. Um, There's a few different platforms you can find uh, our content. Obviously, you can find it on our app, which is North Goodland BC. In your app store, you can download that and you can have access to uh, all the sermons, all the messages. Uh, So you can, uh, if you choose to give through the app, you can do that as well. Um, But pray it'd be a great encouragement to you. There's also a Bible app feature on our app as well. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can download it for that reason as well. Um, Also, our website has it, uh, but also uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you can find our content as well. So you're just going to search North Goodland on either of those platforms. Um, When you go to the Apple Podcast, that's going to be our audio And then Spotify has just the message video. So not the music, not the entire service, but just the message video. So we pray that one of those avenues will help you uh, to be able to uh, connect with us as a church, to be encouraged by the word of God, and to stay up on where we're at with the different messages and content and all of that. And so uh, this morning, as we're kind of picking off again, we're picking up where we left off last week. um, I want to start in our base text. So where we've been every week so far. So if you have a copy of God's word. And I hope that you do go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So either on your device or in print, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, there are some Bibles in the seats around you. We invite you, if you would like, to go ahead and use one of those. And so if you're using one of the Bibles provided, so one of the Bibles in the seats there, uh, you can just turn to page 840. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 840, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to start in just a moment. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're, we're picking up in 2 Timothy 3 because this is kind of the text that we started with in, in the first Sunday of January. And we use this to kind of set the stage for where we really believe change begins. And so I know January, a lot of people have made resolutions that aren't always so resolute, right? Uh, we start with such great intentions, but come middle March, that gym membership's pretty well pushed off to the side. You know what I'm saying? Um, It just happens. We have great intentions and great desires, but so often we can approach change in our lives from a purely emotional standpoint. The calendar changes over and I I need to make this change and I feel like I should do this and I feel like I should do that. And we we try and we try, but we find ourselves failing and falling back into those old habits because sometimes it could be because we approached it from an emotional feelings-based standpoint not a truth standpoint, not a objective standpoint. This is why I'm doing this, or this is why I'm asking God to do this change in me. And so we've been talking about the power to change. How can we have the power to change? So the first thing we need to understand is that we're speaking as followers of Christ. So if you're here today and you, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, we would encourage you and plead with you to realize that we've all fallen short in our sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that does good, the Bible says. We've all fallen into sin, myself included. And we all equally need a savior. We all need grace and the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus Christ, of his own choosing, 
of his own will came to the cross, was buried, and rose again. Because that was a borrowed tomb. Amen? That wasn't his permanent tomb. That was a borrowed tomb. I'm only going to need that for a couple of days. So he rose again. And then he was on the earth for about 40 days, teaching and ministering. And then he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says he's seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father, praying for his children, praying for those that he calls his church, his sons and daughters. And if you've received Christ, if you've realized you've sinned and fallen short of God's perfection, which we all have, and you repent of that sin, that means to turn from that sin and to turn to Christ and say, Lord, I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And I place my faith and trust in you and you alone, not in church, not in the denomination. We're having some baptisms this morning. What a praise to see young people and even older people come and say, I need to follow the Lord and believers baptism. I need to make that choice to show and profess my faith in Christ. I love mornings like today, but baptism doesn't save you. A church membership doesn't save you. Tithing doesn't save you. Good works can never save you. It is only the person and finished work of Jesus Christ that brings salvation into our lives. And so if you've trusted Christ this morning, then there is great power to change that God has given you. And we're talking this morning, we're going to start about one of the great resources of change and the power to learn how to change is in the word of God. We believe as a church that the word of God is our foundation for everything that we say and believe about God and how we live for him. And man's opinions fall, fall short. It's not about my opinions, your opinions, my ideas, your ideas. It's the word of God that is our foundation. And so we started in 2 Timothy 3 because we wanted to lay the foundation that it's God's word that is unique and powerful to speak into the needs of change in our lives. And so we want to start there again. We've been there every week. I want to go back there. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. And if you're not there yet, just hold it open about two-thirds back and most people around you won't know. Just, you'll be fine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16. All scripture, and I love that word all there, all scripture. You know what that means? Even the verses you and I don't like. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is not profitable because you think it's profitable or I deem it profitable. It is profitable. It is beneficial because it is inspired. And inspired literally means God breathed. It was profitable for doctrine. What does doctrine mean? It's the teachings. It's understanding who God is and, and how we can live for him, who we are apart from Christ, and more, maybe at sometimes more importantly for us as believers, who we are in Christ. It goes on to say this, for reproof. So that's that idea of pointing out and exposing our sin, and the word of God does that graciously because we need to see our sin and repent of it. It says for correction, and we talked about this last week, and I'm not going to take too much time on that, so you can go back and watch that, but it's a beautiful word, and all that giving us wisdom in how to live righteously. We are not righteous in our own doing, but in Christ we have his righteousness, and that can flow out of us into the lives of others. That the man of God may be perfect, truly finished, or furnished rather, unto all good works. You have all that you need to live in a way that honors him. The word of God is inspired. It is God-breathed, and it's profitable. And so when we talk about changing this or changing that, and God, would you have me do this, or God, would you have me do that? I want to break this habit and start a new habit. The word of God is the source that we go to for change, the power to change. I'm going to ask that we would pray. I know Jeff prayed already, but let's pray and ask 
the Lord to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Lord, we come before you today so thankful for the gathering, thankful for an opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, to worship you and to praise you. And Lord, we thank you for those that will be baptized here shortly and we, we lift up to you just a great praise of all that you're doing in and through those lives, how you're impacting even for our young ones, impacting their families through them, making a difference from the youngest to the oldest. You're, you're, you're working, Lord, and we praise you for it. And so, Father, as we come today, Lord, to worship you, to celebrate you, we've lifted up your praise and song. We've lifted up, Lord, just your goodness to us. We fellowship together. We've, we've prayerfully, Lord, encouraged one another this morning as the body of Christ. We've given an offering to glorify you, to, to give to the work that you're doing in this world through missions and both locally here. And Lord, now we come to your word. And the worship does not stop when the music stops. Lord, we come to your word and we're excited to see what you have for us. I pray that we would be teachable this morning. That our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have for us. Willing to submit to whatever it is that you have for us. And Lord, for the one or maybe the many here today that have committed to changes this year. Things that they believe that you're leading them to do and habits they desire to get rid of and new habits they're trying to create for your glory. And Lord, as we said last week, maybe they're doing great and they're succeeding and they're reaching those goals and maybe for some others, they're, they're, they're falling short. They've already stumbled. They've already failed. Lord, I pray we would know that your grace is for us. It can lift us up and it can remind us that yes, even though we stumble, you can restore. You can set our feet back on that right path and that we wouldn't live defeated discouraged lives like the enemy would like us to think but that we in Christ have never lost our identity in Christ even when we fall short but you hold on to us you guarantee us eternal life and so father again would you be glorified in all that takes place this morning and again if there's anyone here lord that has maybe gone to church their whole life maybe this is the first time they've ever walked into a church i don't know where they're at but they don't know Christ. The Bible makes it clear that when we leave this world, we will give an account. We will stand cleansed and pure in Christ, forgiven and free, entering into the joy of the Lord. Or we will stand to give an account of our own sin. And the payment for that sin is separation from you in a place called hell. And so, Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves this morning, to let down the, the wall of pride to humble ourselves and to receive the free gift of salvation that you offer that was freely given but cost you everything. And so, Lord, again, would you just give us wisdom in all of this? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is the word of God, as we've already established, that provides the foundation for our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, and who Christ is in us. Once we know who we are in Christ and the eternal security that we have through grace, we can live freely in the present. how in different avenues the Lord has been drawing me back to some different truths about what we've been talking about. I love this. And this last week I heard a, a quote uh, from a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I love what he said. And he was talking about the word of God and he was talking about living the Christian life. And I think this is important for us, especially as we talk about changing and wanting to see new habits and all of that. He says this. 
We do not live by experience. We live by the word. This gentleman's name is Dr. Kim, again at Dallas Theological, and he said this. We are not a people, meaning the church, the believers. We are not a people that are called to go from one experience to another to sustain our faith, but to be rooted and grounded in God's revealed truth. Why? Why is that so important? Dr. Kim says, because it's unchanging. He continues, if God's word is changing, throw it out. If God's word is changing, throw it out. It's not worth anything. But if it's the unchanging word of God that speaks to every generation, that's what we need to come back to. People's opinions ultimately don't matter. You see, through the word, we can continue to learn to submit to him and to know that whatever changes he leads us to make are for our blessing and more importantly, for his glory. Yet many of us, and myself included, can get stuck in a cycle of attempted changes, failure, defeat, what comes next, guilt, shame, I'm going to change, we try to change, we fail, we feel defeated, we feel guilty, I'm going to change, we fail, and we just keep going round and round and round. And you must know this, you are not alone. The enemy wants you to think you're the only Christian that hasn't got it all figured out. You're the only one that still struggles with that sin. No one else in the church could possibly understand because they got it all figured out. Look around the room real quick. Everybody look around the room. Look around the room. Okay. Everybody you're looking at, they ain't got it figured out. I don't care where you looked. And some of you are looking at your spouse a little too long. You need to... I didn't say stare at the people in the room. I said, look, none of us. Now here's the truth of it. Here's the truth of it. Of course we know we don't have it figured out. We really do know nobody else does either. Nobody else is perfect. We know that, but isn't that the comparison game that we play? Man, but they, but them, brother, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so, or they, they've just got the greatest marriage. They've got the perfect family. They've got the best finances. They got it all figured out. And we take what little we know about someone else, we compare it to the all that we know about us, and how do you think we're going to come out in the end? Well, we're losing every single time. But if you walked in their shoes, you were in their home, you found out what they've walked through, you're going to find out, oh man, they're leaning into God's grace just as much as I am. They're, they're hungry for God's mercy just as much as I am because they are struggling just like me. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, the greatest Christian missionary the church has ever seen, we referenced it last week, Romans chapter 7. We're not going to turn there for time's sake, but we referenced this last week, Romans chapter 7, and it's verses 15 through 24. And I I should have said this in the beginning, but if you want to take notes, um, we do have notes on the app as well for the message today. If you'd like to follow along, all of these verses are on there as well. So again, North Northland BC in your app store, you go to media messages, and you'll find today's notes. But in Romans chapter 7, we talked about this, that Paul goes back and forth. This is the famous, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, whole back and forth thing that he does. At the end of it, he says, who could possibly save someone like me? He says, the answer is simple. It's Jesus Christ. And then he says in Romans, he admits he struggles. Every single one of us struggle differently. 
And he says, even after all of that, I know that my identity in Christ has not changed. That I am still free of condemnation. Not because I have perfect performance, but because Jesus Christ and his righteousness has been gifted to me through grace. His sinless life is credited or accounted to your account, to your life. So see, when we struggle, we can admit we struggle. We can admit we have weakness. We can admit we don't have it all figured out. Now this again, does this mean we just sin to sin and it's all good? Of course not. Uh, Romans 6.1, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It doesn't excuse sin. All sin must be repented of and strive to be abstained in the life of the believer. This is, however, an encouragement because when we feel stuck in a cycle of failure, you are not alone. And so what do we do? How do we get unstuck? When you want to get unstuck, we talked about these two points last week. We're just going to review them and then move into the new material. So when you want to get unstuck, you you know God wants you to change something. You're striving for that, but you feel like you're stuck. How do we get unstuck? Now, again, this is not saying once you start applying these things, you'll never fail ever. There's human nature. We all still have temptations. Of course, we may stumble and fall, but praise God, there's grace to pick us back up. The, bio, or the, the points we talked about last week say this. And I hope this was an encouragement to you last week and an encouragement now. Real change isn't behavior modification. It's not just stopping and starting a behavior. Real change is spiritual transformation. So it's deciding. I'm not just going to want to stop this and start that. It's, there's a spiritual element to this change. There's something deeper that needs to take place to see change in my life. You see, it is Christ in you by the Spirit that brings about lasting spiritual transformation in our lives. It is not merely changing a behavior. It is being transformed at the moment of salvation and being transformed or sanctified as we walk with Christ. So I want to look at the real way to change in our lives, the real way that we see change in our lives. Now, I heard a speaker share this that speaker shared that he heard it from someone else. And so I really don't know where this, this main key point originated. But I love the wording of this. And I pray it's an encouragement to you. Because I think we fall into, uh, human beings, we fall into two of these categories pretty often. I'm going to give you three ways that we try to approach change in our lives. Two of these are wrong. And I think we fall into them often. So I'm going to throw them on the screen. I think they're up, going to be up there. Okay. So there's three ways that we approach change in our lives. And these are in the notes again on the app. So the first one is God, then me. God, then me. What do we mean by that? A lot of us approach change in this way. This is the mindset of believing that we are saved by grace. Praise God. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're invited into the body of Christ. He gives us all of these great blessings in his word. And then God just says, all right, good luck. I'll see you. Take care now. That's not how God works. But we think this way. It's God, then me. I heard another speaker say it this way. People think if it's going to be, it's up to me. If it's going to happen, it's got to be me doing it. We have even heard Christians say things like this regarding change in their lives. Tell me if this sounds familiar, either for yourself or someone that you've heard say something like this. I'm trying to grow closer to God. 
I'm trying to not get mad and yell at my kids. I'm trying to get back into church. I'm trying to do this. I'm working at that. I'm doing this. And we, he's got everything good. And then now after all, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we almost think it's God, then me. It's, it's kind of like he started the process, but now it's on us to make it happen. That we've got to carry all the weight, all the burden of change. But the truth is this, that's not a burden you and I were intended to carry. It's not up to just you. It's not up to just you. It's not God, then me. But secondly, and also, it's not God, not me. Because that's another thing we fall into. God, not me. Now, what do we mean by that? This is that thinking that, well, it's all up to God. I'm free and clear. I don't have to do anything. Because it's ultimately God that's going to do everything. This is the mindset that removes all responsibility from us and says, if it's going to happen, God is going to do it all. And I just sit here and wait. If it's going to happen, God's got to do it. And then we figuratively, or sometimes literally, put our hands under our behinds and we sit down and we say, go for it, Lord. Go for it. Some of you have done this in different ways and you've seen this in different ways. Common example, man, I want to get close to God. I really want to grow in my relationship with Christ. I want, to, I want to get closer to God than I've ever been. And that Bible sits closed on the nightstand. I, man, I really want to grow in Christ and you don't attend church. Man, I want to grow in my prayer life and you don't pray. And you think, well, if it's going to happen, God's going to take care of it. I, I want to grow closer to him and, and he's going to do that for me. And then what happens four, six, eight weeks down the road when you're not growing and you're not learning and you're not striving for those things? You actually get mad at God. Well, God, I, it's, it's you. You're supposed to be doing all this. You're the one that's got to work all this out. How about, and this might get a little tough, swallow hard, you'll be okay. How about consistently spending more than you make and then pray and ask God to get you out of debt? By the way, uh, those mega millions, probably not going to help you. <laughs> Lord, I believe in this mega millions ticket. This is the key. Would you please, Lord? But we think that way. We make choices. We make decisions. And then we look to God and go, God, okay, here you go. Take care of it all. Now, understand, does God work in all things for his glory and our blessing? Of course he does. But it's not God, not me to see real change in our lives. The truth is, the way we see real change in our lives is God through me. It's God through me. God through you. This is how we get unstuck and see real change take place in our lives. It's not God then me or God not me. It's God through me. Now, powerful truth in his life. So go with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So go to the left in the New Testament there. If you're using one of the, the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 811. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, page 811 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. 1 Corinthians 15. If you're having a hard time finding 1 Corinthians, 
find 2 Corinthians, and it's right before that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, the Apostle Paul writing here to the local church. So this is important. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the local church. And he wants to be an encouragement to the church. Look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Now, this is a powerful passage dealing with the resurrection and all of that, but I love Paul's humility here. He says this in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Greatest Christian missionary, wrote a third of the New Testament, and he says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Now, he was in an apostle, and he was used by God in that office, but he's being humble here to saying, I don't deserve that. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. If you go back, Acts chapter 7, you're going to read about the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And it says that Saul, they laid their coats at Saul's feet. Now Saul becomes the apostle Paul, and the laying of the coats at his feet is showing that he's the one giving authority over this execution. So Saul, then Paul, says, I'm actually very okay with you killing this Christian because he stands for Christ. He was on his way to arrest and persecute more Christians when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And so Paul's saying, man, because of what I did, I'm not worthy of what I've received. It doesn't mean that he sat on his hands and didn't do anything. He's just being humble. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But look again at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love that. Because I'm not worthy of any of this. I didn't earn this. And in fact, I earned the opposite of this. I should be condemned and casted away and, and set apart from the body of Christ. But he says, oh, but by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He continues. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. What is Paul saying here? The apostle Paul is making it clear. First of all, he's being humble. He's coming saying, it's not me doing really any of this. I'm not the one that's all in, in charge. I'm not the one that's powerful. I'm not the one that's working all of this. I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. It is grace that has changed him. It is the grace of God that has saved him and given him this position and giving him this platform to be able to preach the gospel to every place. He says, whether in the palace or the prison, I'm preaching Jesus. He says, it's all by grace. He is who he is for God by grace. But that grace called him and calls us to put in the effort. To put in the effort. See, he labored more than any of them. Look what he says in verse 10. But I labored more abundantly than they all. You know what Paul's saying? Man, I kind of worked my tail off. I put in the work. I, I preached the gospel. I established churches. I traveled places. We read that when he first got to, um, I believe it was in Corinth, that he was a tent maker by trade. He worked doing that until Timothy arrived. And then he went to actually establishing the church and preaching the gospel more in a full-time capacity. You know what Paul's saying? I did whatever was necessary. I worked hard because I believed that God was going to be glorified in what I was doing. You see, he put the effort in. He worked hard. 
And yet he ends the same way he started. Look at the end of verse 10. Yet not I. Yet not I. But the grace of God which was with me. You know what he's saying? Yeah, I worked hard. I put in the effort. But I want you to know it wasn't really me working. It wasn't really me putting in the effort. It was the grace of God working in me. It was the grace of God that was giving me the strength to do what I'm doing. So here's the thing. I worked really, really hard. And I want all of the glory to go to the Father. I worked really hard, and I want all the glory to go to to Christ. He says the grace that was given to him was not vain or empty. He says that. It wasn't vain. It wasn't without effect. There was substance to it. It was effective in his life. The grace that saved him was the same grace that changed him, and then that same grace worked through him. Peter says the same thing, and if you're taking notes or you're on the app and you're Seeing this there, 2 Peter 1.3. What does Peter say? Man, we've been given everything we could possibly need to live godly for Christ Jesus. So you know what? We can't go to God and say, God, you just didn't give me enough to do what you called me to do. You've lacked. You've fallen in your duties. You failed, rather, in your duties to give me what I need. No, he's provided everything. Peter says it in 2 Peter. Paul says it in Ephesians. He's given to us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? In Christ, you have everything you need to change. But it's not God, not me. It's not God, then me. It's God through me. So in conclusion, kind of as we kind of draw this down, because I think this is so important that we really understand that when we talk about change in our lives, it's not about what benefits us primarily. It's about what glorifies the Father. So that's why Second Peter says, let's go there. I wasn't going to turn there, but let's go to Second Peter. And you guys already know my trick, right? If you can't find Second Peter, find. Man, you guys are quick. You guys are on it. Second Peter and chapter one. I, I don't have the page number for this. I apologize if you're using one of the Bibles provided, but just go towards the right of the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter. So Second uh, Peter chapter one, look at verse three. So notice also verse two, he talks about grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That's the church. He's saying that's how we have this relationship. Verse 3. According as, as his divine power has given unto us all things, that divine power seated in us as believers. It's in the spirit of God. Right? He says, I will give you this power. It will be in you. That's the spirit of God. This goes on to say this. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. So we are escaping that. We're we're not part of that corruption because we are in Christ. Then he says this. Now this is where, again, it's not God, not me, God, then me. Peter says, no, no, it's all grace. You've been given all of these resources so that you can live a life of godliness. You're not going to do it perfectly. 1 John tells us that, right? 1 John 2, 
my, my encouragement to you, my children, is to sin not. So don't sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What is that saying? The encouragement is, as Christians, we strive to honor God and not give in to sin. But we're also battling the flesh, Romans 7. So we need to understand that when we do sin, or if we fall into sin, we have a defense. That's that word advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Peter goes on. He says, you've been given all these things, everything you need. But he says this, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For these things be in you and abound. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what an encouragement. See, Peter says, you have all that you need in Christ. You've been given everything you could ever need. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. And add to that the effort the work to see these things worked out. What does Paul say in Philippians? Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation, work out. Let your salvation be producing something in your life. James says this in James 2. It's all over the New Testament. Let our faith produce works. So it's not, God, you got all this, I do nothing. No, it's God working through me and to see that change. So what does this look like practically? Because this is where I want to kind of wrap up. I want us to be practical this morning. It's so good to hear great truths from God's word. Go, uh-huh, amen, preacher, uh-huh, amen, amen, uh-huh. Walk out the door and go, well, what are we supposed to do? I don't know if you've ever done that. I walked out of a message or two and looked at my wife, and I was like, that was awesome. Man, it was a great word. Do you know what we're supposed to do right now? Because I'm not sure how to apply it. So how do we practically apply this to our lives? Well, here's the kind of summary of what we've been talking about. We must think biblically as we consider what areas of our lives we believe need to be changed for God's glory. We aren't motivated to change purely by how a change benefits me, but how that change in finances, relationships, habits, glorifies God and blesses others. Again, spiritual transformation must be at its core a spiritual mindset, not merely a physical one or a behavior. So what changes are God or is God leading you to allow him to bring about in your life? And then the second question is, why spiritually is that something that you need to pursue? See, here's the thing. If we say it's not behavior modification, but spiritual transformation, then at its core, it must be spiritual, which means is we need a spiritual why. What is the spiritual reason, the biblically driven reason why I need to change this or that behavior, or I need to start this or that behavior, or why I need to do this or stop doing that? What is our spiritual why? Not just it benefits me to get in shape because I should be in shape and be healthy and it benefits me and, and it helps my family. No, no, no. What is the spiritual reason to take care of our bodies? Well, the Bible says this, this is the temple of the living God. That we don't put junk in the temple. Now, I should clarify something. Last week I said that I've realized I shouldn't eat double bacon cheeseburgers as much as I was eating double bacon cheeseburgers. Went to lunch with someone this week and they called me on that. They said, you're going to order a double bacon cheeseburger? So tempted to be like, yeah, two of them, let's go. 
I should clarify. I still will eat at times a double bacon cheeseburger, but a whole lot less than I used to. So what I'm saying is that's the spiritual reason. How about our finances? Uh, why should we be good stewards of our money? Well, because God has blessed us with those things and we are called to be generous with our finances. And the more debt we carry, the less generous we can be. So therefore, the less giving we can be to Christ and his ministry. And so therefore, we're robbing ourselves of that opportunity to be a blessing to someone. I can live really, really comfortably. It's not Christ-centered. No, Christ, I want to honor you in my finances. I want to honor you in my relationships. Why should husbands and wives strive to treat each other in a Christ-like way? Not so that you can have, quote, happy wife, happy life. By the way, that's not biblical. I'm just telling you. I hear that so often and it just drives me crazy. No, Christ-centered marriage equals happy life. Why are we saying, well, if I can make this person momentarily happy, then I'm good because I'm just coasting through. What a horrible way to live in your marriage. No, we strive to lift each other up in Christ, to point each other to Christ so that God is glorified in our marriage because the marriage is the only thing given on planet earth that best pictures the love of Christ for his church. So why do you love your wife and love your husband? Because when your neighbors see you loving each other in Christ, they see an example of the love of Christ for the neighbor. This is a spiritual why. Why do we change these things? Spiritually thinking, what is the biblical reason? And lastly, you need to know that you are not alone in your journey. You want to see godly change in your life. I want to see godly change in my life. And I know we get frustrated when we get stuck in that thinking that we're just never going to change. You are not alone. God has given you his spirit in salvation, his word, and the gift of prayer. All powerful and needed resources to see those spiritual desires become real life results. I'm going to ask that we would pray. As we spend some time of invitation this morning, would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend in your word, celebrating you and all that you are. Lord, we pray that as only you can, that you'd give us wisdom and insight. Lord, help us to understand the spiritual why behind the desired changes that you lead us to make. Help us to not see change just merely as how it benefits us or benefits others. But Lord, ultimately how it glorifies you above all things. Father, help us to see our lives are not segregated into sections of this is for God and, and this is for me. But Lord, it's all for you as followers of Christ. We live as a living sacrifice surrendered to you. And so, Father, we pray that you give us your wisdom and guidance. And, Father, also would you remind us of your grace. Yes, Lord, you're calling us to make changes. Yes, yes Lord, you're calling us to put in the effort, put in the work, and to be disciplined, to be diligent, Peter says. And so, Lord, help us to work hard, to give our efforts. But we don't do it in our strength. We do it when we find ourselves in the word consistently in prayer with the body of Christ, serving you. So Lord, help us to know that all that we need has been given to us already. Already, May we just strive to live in that for your glory. Lord, again, bless this time. Be with those that are here today. If anyone needs to know Christ, I pray they'd come to know Christ. To trust you today, to find eternal life. And Father, I pray for, again, those that are 
struggling right now with those changes, I pray they would know that you are working in them, that you would work through them, and that your glory would be displayed in their lives. And so, Father, thank you again for your love and your grace, your forgiveness for where we fall short. Remind us of who we are in Christ, new creatures. Old has passed away, all has become new. And again, all for your glory. Father, may you be glorified. And however we respond this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we celebrate a time of invitation? Would you come and pray? Whatever the Lord's leading you to do, maybe you need to come and pray with a spouse or a family member, a friend, or by yourself. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing a song of invitation?